We're going to do a quick dive into the life of a man whose name was Joseph, son of Jacob. And we're going to have a baptism, at least one here. And I'm thankful that the understanding seems to have been gained on Sunday morning that if we want, if we want to be those who are able to come out to enter in, if we want to be those who are separated from so we can be dedicated to, if we want to be those who are the called out. And I want to maybe preach about that Sunday morning because some people think called out can sound a little elitist. But we're not an elite society. We're a servant of servants society. But the church is defined as called out. That's what church means. It means the called out. And if you want to join the called out, you have to be, you must be born again. And Jesus said, born again of water and of spirit. So I'm thankful for the baptism we're about to have tonight. Uh, a wonderful friend of Brother Sam Kelly, his, the Kelly family and Parker has a friend. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? For friends to bring friends. And that friend was absolutely overwhelmed by the Spirit of God on Sunday following the morning service and said, I'm coming back to be baptized in Jesus' name on Tuesday night. So I'm so excited about that. <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're in for a wonderful time as that baptism is about to commence. And then, God willing, in the next Sunday or two, we have even more baptisms coming. We have one looks like directly related to trunk or treat. So you see, trunk or treat can turn into something that is that good. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not about the candy. I know that's a, real, that's a real shock for some people. Genesis 50, 20. Genesis 50, 20. I think this is probably the most important verse in the entire story of Joseph. He's speaking to his brothers... And he says, as for you guys, you meant evil against me. You had evil in your heart. You had evil intent. You had evil motive. You had evil feelings and a spirit against me that was evil. You had jealousy, animosity, envy because of my robe of many colors. I was dressed like a nobleman. And you guys were just like little old lowly shepherds. And that made you mad. So you did what humans typically do when they're kind of like feeling like they're being disrespected. But they're older and they have more miles on them. They got these young whippersnappers coming along who are the cat's meow. They better not act that way. Oh, I got an idea. Let's throw them into a pit. No, 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 no. Better than that. Let's sell him to a slave train and make a little money. 20 shekels of silver. About twice as much as a yearly wage back in those days. Pretty good money. So they made some money. They got off with the loot. And they got rid of their brother. Y'all remember the story? 
It's a beautiful story to read, Genesis 37 through 50, those, all those chapters. Let's all read it together. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Wow. God is the ultimate one who can turn things right side up. He's the ultimate cleanup specialist. All the human mess is made. God says, I know how to clean it up and make it work for my favor, work in favor of the people who made the mess. Isn't that amazing? Wow, what a God. And that's our God tonight. Hallelujah. I thank him for being the God who is in this house tonight. Folks, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and want you to call your name. If you know your name right now, raise your hand. Would you just say he's the God of, and I want you to call your name. He's the God of Donald Haman II. <laughs> All right, if you know your so no, we're not going to go to social number, social security number. That'd be fine. You can take your seats, and let's get into the word of the Lord. If you'll open your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. We love the word of the Lord, and we want to make sure we understand what we've been studying in our devotions all week. Genesis 37, 4. Let's look at Genesis 37, verse 4. We're going all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 34 verse, excuse me, 37 verse 4. But when his brothers, Joseph's brothers, saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And when they looked at him, they could not say anything nice. You don't know anybody like that? Chael knows somebody like that? And you know what? I think we all can think of somebody like that. And I like to say, why do you just don't even talk if you don't have anything good to say? Improve on the silence or don't speak at all. No, they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. I wonder what that sounded like, Brother Blake. Every time they had a chance to run up against him, must have been a, something disrespectful, some word of animosity or hatred couldn't even speak to him peacefully verse number 5 37 verse 5 now Joseph had a dream and you see he was already in the doghouse with his brothers but when he told them his dream they hated him even more you think he should have kept his dream to himself? I think if he had kept his dream to himself, it wouldn't have done any good because they already hated him. But he sure added fuel to the fire. Now, jump to 8, verse 8, 37 verses 8. We're going to look at 8, 9, 10, 11. Real quick, ready? Verse 8. His brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, you big shot? You think you're the head honcho, the big cheese? You think you're going to reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And here it is again. So they hated him even more. 
How much more? How much can you hate someone? They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then, next verse says, he dreamed still another dream. Told it to his brothers. And he said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon. This is a 17-year-old guy telling his older brothers who must have been adults. You'd think he would have learned. But he says, hey, guys, I got another dream here. This time, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars bowed down to me, and they counted up how many brothers there were, and there were 11 other brothers. So they knew the implication. So they're all going to bow down. 11 are going to bow down to number 12, Joseph. And the next verse says, So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream? That you've dreamed. Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So, what I just did just now is I jumped all the way to the end of the story and I read a verse and I leapt flashback all the way to the beginning and read verses. What's in the middle is the tough part. Wow. There's about 25 years between those two instances and events. It's a, it's a time, a span of time. Actually, no one knows exactly how long it is. But it, it, whether it's 18 or 20, 25 years, the time frame between his being sold into slavery after telling his brothers that he was going to lead them. He was going to be in charge of them. He was going to be their boss, have dominion over them, to the time that he gave them the reality of who he was and how he had kept Israel alive. In other words, his homeland would have completely been decimated by famine. They would have had no more food, and they would have all perished because of hunger. And we do know that there were indeed 14 years right there. There was seven good years, the seven bad years in between. 14. And you want to add to that? However many years added up to that, I don't know. Bottom line is, this young man was a man who was growing older. And he, as he was aging, he was given so many opportunities to be a man with a vendetta. And to be a man with revenge in his heart. But what's amazing is this. This is the point of this whole message. He never lost sight of his dream. He never let his dream be released from his grasp. What was given to him as a young teenager, he did not let go of it in the midst of turmoil and in the midst of crisis and in the midst of offenses and conflict, he did not let go. And I'm going to tell you something that brings tears to my eyes is when I look into the eyes of older men and women and I realize they're not living the dream that they really had as a younger person. They have somewhere along the line allowed something to cause them to let go of that dream. And they are forced down a pathway of least resistance 
and they make their lives the way they have made their lives, and their lives turn out another way entirely. But I want to make sure that tonight we all go back to the original reason and the dream God gives you and I to even be a part of this wonderful family of God so that we will have a grasp on it tonight, we'll have a grasp on it tomorrow, and we'll have a grasp on it come what may, hell or high water. We're not going to let go of the dream. We have a man named Joseph in the Bible who showed us that if you will be tenacious and you believe in the dream God gave you and you believe in the God of the dream, He'll take good care of you. No matter what happens, he'll take care of you. And I love Hebrews 11, verse number 2. Look at Hebrews 11, 2. Just all by itself, if you take it out of context, it's kind of puzzling. It says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Let's think about that. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. This is speaking of those who have years, who have mileage, who have had time on to, to live their lives and to show others what it really is like to live a life through the good and through the bad, through the hard, through the easy, through the thick, through the thin. You do not become an elder overnight. <laughs> you become an elder only if you know how to stand the test of time. Isn't that an amazing thought? We're all working on being elders, even you young people up here. And you're like, hey, I got here as quick as I could. Don't make fun of me because I'm not an elder yet. I want you to understand it's by it that the elders received, they obtained a good testimony. In other words, there was nothing bad to say about their lives because their lives were lived in a way that was worthy of a good testimony. How can it be that you can get to the latter part of your life? How can it be that you can make it all the way to the other end of the story and still have a strong stand and still say, God meant it for good even though the world around me meant it for evil. I see what God was doing now. It was a, it was a struggle and I don't know how I made it through the pit. I don't know how I came out of the pit and I made my way to Potiphar's house. I don't know how I got out of the clutches of Potiphar's wife, but I somehow I made it to the palace and then I went to the dungeon. I don't know how I went to the dungeon and then I, I didn't have to die, but God let me come out of the dungeon and lo and behold, I become the prince a Pharaoh second in command. And here I stand as an elder having obtained a good testimony. You don't get there by being a fast thinker, fast talker. You don't get there by being rich. You don't get there by being smart. I'm going to tell you how you get there. You get there by being anchored to the original dream. Would you all hang on to that? Anchored to the original dream. What is the original passionate purpose that God has given? When you and I can grab a hold of that, nothing, nothing can change us. Nothing can shake us. Amen. Hebrews 12, 2. It says these words. I know we already looked at 11, 2, but would you look at 12, 2 with me? Now, I, I forgot to say Hebrews 11, 2 was talking about faith. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Faith. Everybody say faith. Okay, so I need to say this real quick. If none of you have a dream yet because you're young, because you're new, you don't really know a whole lot yet about biblical truth and you're still on the path that's the least you can pray for is God 
implant faith in my heart. Make that my dream, faith. Faith in you, whether it's tough or whether it's easy. Faith in you, whether I'm in famine or I'm in plenty. Faith in you, whether or not I can pay my bills today or faith in you if I can't pay my bills today. Faith in you, regardless, I'm going to have faith in God. That's the key there. So now going to the next chapter, this is, this is a little Bible study here for you. This is what we do in the studies. Hebrews 12, 2. Look at this beautiful verse. Looking unto Jesus. Read it with me. The author and finisher. You see, he didn't just start and stop without finishing. The author and the finisher. Can I just give you guys, you want to write this down in your Bible, you can write it down. The, the scholars have come up with two better words than author and finisher. They are pioneer and perfecter. Hallelujah. God has, God has put the finish on our faith. And he knows us, helps us to know how to be the perfecter of our faith. And he's already done it. He's shown us how to do it. How did he start out and go all the way to the end? How did he do it? He's the author and the finisher, the pioneer and the perfecter. Folks, it's easy to talk about beginnings, and it's easy to talk about ends, but what about in the middle when there's just a whole lot of uncertainty and a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of not sure this and not sure that? Can I just encourage you to get yourself anchored to the need we have for faith and the need we have to be like Jesus? He's the one who was the pioneer, and he's the perfecter. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. How do I know that? I'm so glad you asked. How do you know that, Pastor? Here's how I know he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, he was able to see through the tunnel of pain, betrayal, loss, thousands who followed him and were completely bowing before him. Thousands. I mean, goodness. Isaac Quayer, wouldn't it be fun to go out on the street right now and have 5,000 people gather around you and you need a megaphone and say, hey, guys, I've got free, free lunch for everybody. Anybody got a happy meal? And turn that happy meal into 5,000 meals. You think you'd be famous the next day? I have a feeling you'd be famous the next day. But can you imagine a couple of days after that, you say some words that they don't understand and they all like, hey, you know what? I think I got other things to do. I'm not going to hang out with Isaac anymore. I don't need no happy meal. And Jesus literally saw thousands of people come and thousands of people go to prove to us it's not about the crowd. Never was, never will be. It's about the heart. And those who had a heart for Jesus said, I don't care what he said about taking the communion and taking his blood and understanding his death and his burial and his resurrection. Hallelujah, that's what he was talking about. And people didn't understand it, so because of a lack of understanding, they walked away. But the disciples said, Jesus, yeah, we know those guys took off. They took a hike. Maybe they'll be back. But Lord, no. To answer your question, we will not also go away. Jesus asked them that. Jesus said, Isaac, you've been following me all these days. Will you also go away with all the people who are the fair-weather friends? And Isaac, the disciples like you said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't care if I get another Happy Meal, another filet of fish which is a good sandwich, by the way. 
with tartar sauce and warm, fresh French fries. But if I don't get another one, guess what? I'm going to follow you, Jesus. You know what? If people take it away from me, I'm not going to lose my following you. Because, Lord, you proved to me that you're the author and the finisher. Watch this. It says, who for the joy that was set before him. I think of a, I think of a, of a, of a telescope. You just take the telescope and you pull it out, open it all the way up to full length, and you look all the way down through all the difficulties and the hardships and the trials, and you say, there's joy set before me. Can anybody do that right now? Just pull that scope out and say, I see heaven, and I see streets of gold, and I see walls of Je- I see the face of Jesus. I get to walk with him, talk with him, have fellowship with him throughout eternity, and nobody's going to take it away from me. I don't care if anybody makes me offended or upset, and anybody makes me feel like it's not worth it. Hey, even if people make me feel like I'm too old, and I feel like I'm too young, or I feel like I'm not old enough or young enough, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to keep serving him. There is no way I'm going to be distracted. I'm going to go for that wonderful joy. Jesus said, I'm going to go for the joy set before me. And for that joy, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he's at the ultimate pinnacle of glory. He is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, he is the ultimate authority of Almighty God. Now, I'm going to wrap this message up because I'm excited about a baptism. I'm excited about what God has in store for us. But I just want to make sure we all understand that there is a possibility for there to be murderous jealousy that arises still among families, still among ministries, and still among churches even. That is kind of like kind of like Joseph had to deal with. Joseph, wouldn't it have been nice if he'd have just had a coasting ride straight on into palace, but the palace wasn't waiting for him with a, with a nice glide in from his father's house. There was a lot of struggle in the middle. Folks got to remember that. A lot of struggle in the middle. They hated him. Joseph dreamed a dream, and they hated him yet more. His brethren said to him, you are going to really reign over us, and they hated him yet the more. Three times this says they hated him. In, one, in two verses. So it's important, I believe, to pause here and recognize that the brothers of Joseph, his own flesh and blood, they had murderous jealousy that would rather see their little brother die than exceed them in honor. Wow. They would rather see him bleed out in the field drawing his last breath with his eyes staring blankly to the heavens, completely lifeless, rather than to see him in dominion and honor. And they would rather him be dead than to watch him exceed them in honor. And that whole idea is the culmination, sadly, of generations of sibling rivalry in the, New, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis you got to think about that. There's, there's, there's this sad concept of unfair parental favoritism that happens right here in our face. The Bible doesn't gloss over it. It began with, way back with Abraham, a couple generations back, Callus casting out Ishmael. 
to satisfy Sarah's spite against Hagar. Whole story in itself. And then it carried forward to the jealous rivalry between the firstborn Esau and the conniving combination of his scheming mother, Rebekah, and the younger brother, Jacob. Finally, arriving in the story of Jacob's own sons. It comes to his own household, whose scheming would, ha- would deceive the wily old deceiver himself. That's what Jacob was known to do as a younger man. So what a stark lesson in the ongoing power of family dysfunction. Dysfunction. It's even more sobering when we recall that these were, they're all godly families. Yet their inner relationships were still radically misshapen and deformed by the warped perspective of parents. Isn't that unbelievable? Wow. You're like, the Bible? I remember Elder Haman said it a couple, couple, three, four Tuesday nights ago, there's not one perfect family in the entire Bible. And that's the truth. I'm so sorry to say that. But they're still in the hall of faith. Do you see, it's possible for us to keep our eyes on faith and be as mindful as we can of repentance and forgiveness and recognize the fact that we are prone to mistakes and we are prone to step on each other's toes from time to time. But if we can be those who say, God, I ask your forgiveness. Brother, sister, I ask your forgiveness. Here is what I want you to realize tonight, that God still works in the middle of dysfunction. He doesn't want anybody to let go of the dream. He doesn't want anybody to let go of that that original vision that has been given them. We can be thankful that the story of Joseph does not look away from the ugliness of rivalry between Joseph and his brothers. We can be thankful there's no glossing over of the father's toxic favoritism or the brother's outright hatred. That's your book of Genesis. Now, if you want to tear those pages out and make it a little more PG, go right ahead. But, of course, that would be taking away from the Word of God. And there is an accursement awaiting for those who do so. It's in there. So the book of Genesis is a powerful book. And in these studies we're doing on God's Word for life, we're going to continue with these in Tuesdays to come. They help us to see that risk is Risk is something that the book of Genesis is not afraid to do because having unflinching honesty about human failure is absolutely essential to our present day success. To know that there is a human action, but human action never, never can, can, it actually can happen and cause issues and turmoil. But what's really important is that we stay connected to divine action. And let's say here tonight together, the God-given dreams we have of what could be are a crucial part of God's gracious action in our lives. I want us to remember our dreams, folks. I want us to remember our dreams. My wife will remember when I was just a young, brand-new married pastor of this church, the Lord gave me the vision and the dream of having the city of Denver 
separated by or, or, or drawn out in segments across the city and having segments with a center of the map at a worship center just like Calvary and having those segments all designed to have fellowship in those segments. Can I tell you that dream is still alive. Some of you weren't even in church and weren't even alive yet to see those things. But I believe God has given me a dream because God has called us to be a nation of kings and priests and to take a stand in the city and take a stand wherever we live, not just in this house, not just in the worship center, but to do it wherever we are and take responsibility one for another. God has given me that dream. And I want to tell you that dream is still alive. What dream has God given you that is still, I believe, a critical and a crucial part of his action plan for your life? I believe he has an action plan for every life in this house tonight. The dreams are certain because they're his dreams for you. His work that he will accomplish in his own time and in his own way. Don't be ashamed or discouraged by the dysfunction of your past. Instead, I'm inviting everybody to stand strong and follow the dreams that God has given us. Go ahead and stand up if you're going to take a stand for the dreams God has given you. When you stand up, you know what you're doing? You're saying, God, I'm ready to watch you bring a bright future to pass. God, I'm watching for you to bring the best to pass. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, I want to thank you, God, for the dreams you've given me. You're a God who has not forsaken me. You're a God who has not walked away from me. Oh, isn't God an amazing God? Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> you can do nothing against the truth, the Bible says, but only for the truth. You can do nothing against a God-given dream. When God has given you faith in Him, there is nothing that can stand against that faith except for your own, your own willingness to let go and drop your guard. Those brothers... There's brothers, they, they were bad guys. They were, they were really, they go down in history as being guys who were so, such a bad example. What to do with jealousy and envy. But I want you to see that God used that. Everybody say, God used that. Doesn't mean you, you have permission to be jealous and envious of your brothers in the church doesn't mean you have any reason or, or right. But can I just tell you this? Little did the brothers suspect that the very plans that they were then scheming on that side of the story were about to lead to the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. They actually helped it to happen. Folks, you can do nothing against the truth but for it. You can do nothing against a dream but for it. When you are given a God-given dream, church, I want, to, I want everybody to realize here tonight, God is a God who says, I'm looking for people with tenacity to hold on, to hold on to the dream. Does anybody remember when the Apostle Paul was dropped to the ground because of the vision God gave him and said, you're fighting against Jesus Christ. And he had the Damascus Road experience. Who would believe that 25 years later, after he had crashed to the ground and he was blinded, and he heard Jesus speak when he questioned him, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. 25 years later, who would have known? But here he is in Acts 26, verse 19, speaking to a king of the then known world. And he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient 
to the heavenly vision. I never let go of the dream. I'm still holding on to the dream. He says, I declared first to those who were in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles. What did you declare? That they should repent, turn to God, and do works that are befitting repentance. Thank you, Jesus. How many more examples do we need? I think that's enough. we got plenty of examples that when we have an original vision, it's a sad thing to let it go and follow the path of least resistance. But I want to know if there's anybody here in this house right now who'd like to say, the dream God has given me is enough for me to say, I don't care what happens in my life, what happens in my family, what happens in my church, what happens wherever I go, I am going to stay faithful to the dream. What is your dream? I hope you have a dream. Ten souls a year brought to the house of God, that's a great dream. Family saved that's not saved, that's a great dream. Is there anybody here tonight who'd like to say, I'm going to take a stand for my dream by stepping out into an aisle right now, and I'm willing to step to the front and say, that dream is going to have my constant and my permanent attention. I am never going to let go of the dream I have. Oh God, help us to be like the Apostle Paul. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be like you yourself, Lord. Help us to be like Joseph, Lord. And remember, Lord God, that there is an ultimate plan that you have in store for us. Lord God, create, I pray, your revival in our house, Lord, and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Some of you have come up here with pieces of a dream that you just don't know how they fit back together because it's been kind of shattered and confused and distorted through time. I want you just to hold up those pieces of your dream to the Lord and say, God, I want you to help me put them back together. You know what's best and you know what you're doing in my life. Lord God, you know what you're doing in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hold on to those God-given dreams. Let God's Word define you. Don't let the hurt and the betrayal define you. Don't let the pain and the conflict define you. Oh, in Jesus' name, things come that hurt. Things come that disappoint. Things happen in our lives that we never would have at all believed could happen. But don't let those things stop you. I believe it's time for somebody to grab a hold of that dream again like a brand new dream and say, God, I'm going to run with it for the rest of my life. I want you, Lord Jesus, to be pleased with my dream being completely followed as I follow you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Can I tell you God has a dream? God has a dream. I really feel like this is God's dream. You can see it throughout the pages of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Apostle Peter in the first century is reminding those scattered, persecuted church members of what God's dream is for them in the, in the New Testament. First century. He says, here's God's dream. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. <laughs>